Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. Well, hello, friends. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here, National Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our time of prayer and scripture. We want to pray for each other, of course. Leave your prayer intentions in the comments. And we want to pray for Ohio during this novena for a successful vote on August 8th to raise the threshold for amending the Ohio Constitution. Because people who want to take away parental rights and the right to life of more and more babies want to take it away and destroy it are trying to amend the Ohio Constitution by inserting a fake right into it that must be stopped in November. And it'll be easier to stop it in November if now we change the rules of how to, ch- how to uh, amend that Constitution. So we'll say a special prayer at the end for Ohio. Meanwhile, we'll go into the scriptures for today and draw some pro-life insights from them. Let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Lord God, for this day. Thank you for the faith in the one Savior and only hope of humanity, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the zeal to proclaim His name and to convert others to Him. Lord, as young people around the world are gathering in these days for World Youth Day, we pray, convert them all more deeply to your Son, Jesus Christ. For those who are not sure of their faith, but are on this event anyway, may this event deepen that faith. For those who do not know Christ, may this event introduce them to Him. And for those who have already been disciples of your Son, may this event not only strengthen their faith, but strengthen their commitment to make disciples of all the nations, to go home and to convert to Christ those who do not already believe. Lord, we ask you to forgive us for any lack of zeal in spreading your gospel, any lack of determination in defending the defenseless, the most defenseless, the unborn, for any way in which we have turned away from your law or your will. Give us your forgiveness. May we rejoice each day in the gift of repentance and the opportunity to start again. May we advance your kingdom with full peace and joy through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. A reading from the book of Exodus. Moses did exactly as the Lord had commanded him. On the first day of the first month of the second year, the dwelling was erected. It was Moses who erected the dwelling. He placed its pedestals, set up its boards, put in its bars, and set up its columns. He spread the tent over the dwelling and put the covering on top of the tent, as the Lord had commanded him. He took the commandments and put them in the ark. He placed poles alongside the ark and set the propitiatory upon it. He brought the ark into the dwelling and hung the curtain veil, thus screening off the ark of the commandments as the Lord had commanded him. Then the cloud covered the meeting tent, and the glory of the Lord filled the dwelling. Moses could not enter the meeting tent because the cloud had settled down upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the dwelling. Whenever the cloud rose from the dwelling, the children of Israel would set out on their journey. 
But if the cloud did not lift, they would not go forward. Only when it lifted did they go forward. In the daytime, the cloud of the Lord was seen over the dwelling, whereas at night, fire was seen in the cloud by the whole house of Israel in all the stages of their journey. Well, friends, the people of God did not just walk through the desert. They certainly didn't walk individually. They walked as a community. And they walked along with certain tools of worship. Sometimes people overemphasize the fact, and it is a fact, that God is spirit, and He wants those who worship Him in spirit and in truth, that we can worship Him anywhere, and that it's an individual relationship with Him spiritually. All that is true. And yet they make a mistake if they despise using physical objects in the worship of God. We have the sacraments. Many denominations have sacraments, maybe not as many as other denominations. But these involve physical things. Baptism, that we all have in common as Christians, uh, involves water. So it's not purely spiritual. There are physical elements in worship. Well, we see that right from the beginning of God's covenant dealings with humanity. And this passage from the book of Exodus shows us that again. The people didn't just walk through the desert. They carried with them this portable church, if you will. This was the the, 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 uh, uh, prefiguring of the uh, temple later on. The temple would be built, again, under God's very specific instructions. And you see here, it's not just that Moses and the people are deciding to set up some kind of tent that's called the dwelling, some kind of physical uh, uh, room for worship out of their own creativity. These are from the precise instructions of God and from the finger of God because the Ark of the Covenant, this box, again, made according to God's specific instructions, contains the tablets. So the very foundation of this covenant, God speaking to them the way of life, because the tablets with the Ten Commandments, it's like a table of contents. There's a whole way of life and a lot of detail underneath that, how they are to live because they are to be like God. This is at the center because those tablets are considered a, a form of the God's presence among His people and the ark now becomes this powerful manifestation, incarnation, if you will. It's a little bit of foreshadowing of the incarnation, God in the flesh, God in physical things, even though God is spirit. He takes on the physical. He takes on a human nature in Christ. All of this is pointing to and preparing for that and also rooted in our humanity as not just spiritual beings. We are not angels. And that's not just a moral statement that we are not uh, pure like angels. But we are not angels by definition. We have bodies. Angels don't. We are bodies, we should say. We are a body and a soul together. Angels aren't. This dwelling is constructed. The Ark of the Covenant will become a powerful physical force of God's presence in the world. We will see as the Old Testament goes on. The Ark is carried into battle and the enemies are routed. One time the Ark is captured 
by the Philistines and it's put into their temple. But the next morning when they go in, the, 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 the idol that they worship was fallen on the ground with its head and arms broken off. Dagon, the story of Dagon. So the ark still has, it has power. Now, it's not magic or superstition. It's the presence of God in the world. Again, foreshadowing of the incarnation, foreshadowing of the, the tabernacle where the physical Christ dwells among us. On top of the ark, the propitiatory, propitiation for our sins, shed blood will be sprinkled on that as, as this is set up in the temple. So the place where God's presence is, is also where atonement is made for sin. Because God's presence brings the forgiveness of sin. You'll see as the rituals are developed, that the high priest only goes into that sacred room where the, where the ark is, where the tablets are, where the propitiatory is, and sprinkles it with blood. Sprinkles this seat, if you will, of God's presence with blood that again foreshadows the blood of the high priest, Jesus Christ, who only has to shed it once instead of the repeated shedding of blood by animal sacrifices. All of this is prophecy, and that's why God is prescribing it with very specific instructions. But I want you to notice another thing. When they bring the ark into the dwelling and set it up, they hang a curtain as a wall, a veil, screening off the ark of the commandments, this reading told us, as the Lord commanded them. Screening it off. Now think about this. God manifests himself to the people. Mount Sinai, there's thunder and cloud and shaking of the earth. The people are trembling and Moses himself is afraid. God is showing his majestic power. And yet he's breaking into human history precisely to, to, to show himself and speak to the people and give them the blessing that other nations around them didn't have, of knowing him better so that they could be holy, giving them the commandments. This is God loving us, showing us who he is, showing us who we are and who we need to become. So why would these commandments that manifest to us who God is and that we need to know, and, 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 and as the community developed, uh, uh, they, they, they practice the, the sharing of these commandments day by day with their children, even wearing the commandments with inscriptions and, and, and constantly manifesting the law of God to them. Why are they screened off? Because the God who comes close to us is also infinitely beyond us. The God who is near is also far. The God who cradles us in his arms is also filling the universe in every part. The God who is gentle to us is also almighty. There is a separation. No matter how God, close God comes to us, he even makes us sharers in the divine nature in the new covenant in Christ. Nevertheless, the distinction is not erased 
between God and creature. That's the difference between Christianity and pantheism. The idea that everything is God or idolatry, that a thing can be God. No, no creation can be God. That's why there's a funny passage in the Old Testament of mocking idolatry, and it says, oh, you know, the carver will take a worthless piece of wood and carve out to it a god, but it can't even stay on the wall on its own power. He has to fasten it there. You can't make God, because anything you make is not God. By definition, God is the one who is not made. He's the one that makes everything else. So what I'm saying is, no matter how close God comes to us, He's still God and we're still creatures. So this sealing off with the veil is a reminder that we only enter into the presence of the Holy of Holies at His command. We don't have a right. It's a gift. And this will persist into into the temple where there will be the Holy of Holies, The high priest enters there to make atonement for sin only once a year. So grave is this distinction. So grave is this this limitation of who can go in there. That when the high priest would go in once a year for the ceremony of the forgiveness of sins, a rope would be attached to his ankle so that on the off chance that he might die while he was in there, he could be pulled out rather than somebody having to violate God's command by going in there on their own authority to get him out. So the veil, the curtain veil that was in this dwelling that was taken by the people along their path through the desert foreshadows the temple. In Jesus Christ... This fullness, with again, still without losing the distinction between God and creature, that's an eternal distinction. He opens himself up. He opens to us, in an unprecedented way, the treasures of, of divine life in Jesus Christ. And to show that, when Jesus Christ dies on Good Friday, read the account of the Passion. The veil of the temple, this heavy curtain, again, separating out the the most holy place from the rest of the world, is torn in two. Not from bottom to top, as as if by human authority, but from top to bottom, by God's authority. Why is the veil, the curtain veil, torn in two? Because now, in the flesh of Christ that was torn on the cross, we have access to eternal life. We have access now to the Holy of Holies. The distinction is still there between God and creation. It will always be there. There is an eternal difference, no matter how close God gets. And there should be an an appropriate amount of fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, Paul says. Even though Christ Jesus dwells within us and God marries us, it's, 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 it's a It's holding these two things in tension, which a lot of people don't know how to do. Nevertheless, we enter the Holy of Holies now. We are high priests. Christ is in us. Now, there's another dimension here about the sanctity of human life. If this dwelling of God on earth, and this is called the dwelling, right? This 
portable church, this foreshadowing of the temple, and ultimately foreshadowing of Christ, and bringing us into His life, into the Holy of Holies. If this sacred dwelling of God is so special, and it's protected by all these instructions, and only certain people have access to it, how much more then should we understand how sacred human life is? Because human life, unlike any other aspect of creation, is the dwelling of God in the world. You can look at this passage. You can look at the temple and say, that's yes, that's a sign of Christ. That's a foreshadowing of salvation, the tearing open of His flesh. But it's also a teaching about human life. He who loves me, the Father will love, and we will come to Him and make our dwelling with Him, said Jesus Christ. He promised that He and His Father and His Spirit would make us their dwelling. And God, in creating life in the first place, human life, distinct and above, distinct from and above every other form of life, said, now this is my image and likeness. Human life reflects His glory in a way that other life doesn't, reflects His dwelling, His presence, God in us, through His image and then through His Spirit and His indwelling by grace in the new covenant in Christ. Talk about respect for human life. The curtain veil was hung. You don't go in there. You have an appropriate fear and trembling about the presence of the Almighty, the All-Holy. Nothing impure shall enter there. The book of Revelation says about heaven. It doesn't mean we won't enter there. It means we have to be purified. How sacred is human life? Here is where God dwells in every human being. Every human being is like a walking tabernacle. We genuflect before the tabernacle because the presence of Christ is there. We ought to be genuflecting in reverence. Not that we're confusing humanity with divinity, no. But out of reverence for human life, it deserves profound respect beyond any words that we can imagine. And therefore how... How offensive it is when human lives are treated like garbage or thrown in the garbage literally by abortion. Let's take from this reading this fresh awareness of what holiness is, what the dwelling of God is among us, what the gift of human life is. And let's pray for the protection of that life, including in Ohio. Father, we come to you, uh, first of all, lifting up to you all the intentions that are being expressed in the comments, the prayer needs of your people, whether for health or consolation or wisdom and, and, and strength, and gratitude for blessings. Lord, we pray for, above all, the protection of life in our day, the protection of the unborn. We want to pray specifically, Lord, for that group of people most in danger, the unborn, the children in the womb. Protect them. May we be the voice for them. May we be the, the ones who bring about their legal protection. 
And Lord, in this regard, we pray especially that you stop the pro-abortion forces who are trying in Ohio and Florida and South Dakota and elsewhere, trying to bring unlimited abortion, which doesn't belong anywhere and which certainly has no basis in our laws or constitutions. Lord God, stop their efforts and allow your people to come together and to raise a wall of protection, a wall of protection against this onslaught of child killing, raising that wall of protection by making it harder to amend the Constitution of Ohio. Give a victory, Lord God, for the yes vote on August 8th, the voting now occurring. Inspire our fellow citizens to take to the polling places and take the action they are able to take to protect these children. We now pray this special prayer that you'll find at prayercampaign.org, prayercampaign.org, this prayer for victory in Ohio. Lord of life and Father of all, we thank you for the great victories that you have brought us as we work to protect the unborn and their moms, dads, and families from the violence of abortion. Lord, as your people now have more opportunity to shape abortion policy in each state, we see many states restoring protection to our unborn brothers and sisters. We also see abortion forces attempting to expand abortion and even declare it a right under their state's constitution. Lord, we pray today for victory in Ohio as we work to protect its constitution from those who want to impose a policy of unlimited abortion. We pray in particular for the special election of August 8th, for which the voting is already underway. We pray that the voters will have the wisdom to approve the provision that would make it harder to amend the Constitution by raising the threshold to 60%. As a result of this, Lord God, we pray that the citizens of Ohio will have an even greater appreciation of the importance of their Constitution, of the impact of amending it, and of the need to require strong consensus among the people before changing their most fundamental governing document. Lord, bring victory to the yes vote on August 8th so that it will be more difficult for promoters of abortion to change the Ohio Constitution later into a ticket to unlimited abortion. May your people speak up for what is right, take action for what is just, and make the sacrifices necessary to preserve the sanctity of life and family. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. And now let's pray in the words that he gave us. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And thank you, friends, for joining me. Join us each day 
for these reflections and these times of prayer. Spread the word to others. And consider supporting our work. You can do so at ProLifeGift.org. We rely only on people like you. ProLifeGift.org. And thank you, friends, for everything you can do for Ohio. Contact people you know there. Let's make sure we have a victory on August 8th. God bless you. Pro-Life leader Frank Pavone here. We will talk to you soon. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.